Our passage today is from Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Hey, this fall, we have been working through the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and we've been in Isaiah for several months now, and Isaiah for us is one of the most incredible books of the Old Testament. It's a long and complex book, but it's pretty straightforward in its message. It tells us all about the the goodness of our God, how he draws near to us, and how he gives us hope in the midst of a broken world. And one of the things we we love about Isaiah as a church is that it gives us this picture of a a really full gospel, a really full Christianity. Because the good news of Christianity is, is first and foremost that we have been forgiven of our sins, that we have been made right with God. We have freedom in Christ. But it, it doesn't end there. The good news is also that we are welcomed into the relational loving presence of God. And so at the same time, we are saved from and we are saved for. We are saved from our sins and we are saved for a deep abiding life with God. And that is the entirety of Christianity, not merely that we've been saved from something. And Christianity is so much more than just just sort of a get out of free jail, get out of jail free card. It's so much more than just going to heaven when you die, but it's this active, abiding, powerful life with God through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. And so Isaiah is welcoming, in, welcome, welcoming us into this kind of life. And if you've been with us for the last seven or eight weeks, we've been going through Isaiah 1 
through 39, sort of the first half of this book. And it's been great, and we've seen so much and learned so much. And yet there's, there's this pivotal shift in chapter 40. From chapter 40 onward, it's almost an entirely different book. And the first 39 chapters are, are great. I mean, they've been so good. But then when you hit chapter 40, you're like, we are just getting started. The first 39 chapters, those last seven or eight weeks, that was like the appetizer. And this, this is the feast. I mean, we were just playing around until now, but we are in Isaiah 40, and it's all happening. You know how every album has like a couple of bangers and then just a bunch of kind of filler songs? You know, albums were these things before playlists. I, Isaiah has, has the same thing. He's got some, some banger tracks, and then he's got the deep cuts. And so, you know, the artists, they're like all about the deep cuts. You know, they're getting in touch with their creativity and these songs and things like that. And we love our artists. I'm a little bit more of a banger guy. Like I love the hits. Give me the hits. And Isaiah 40, oh my goodness. This is like the hit of all hits. It is, it is remarkable in what it's going to show us. And so this morning, we're going to see what God has promised his people. What he was promising to Israel in that day, but what is most fully fulfilled in Christ and fulfilled in the new heavens and new earth. So there's three things that God promises to us today in this passage. First, he will comfort us in our pain. Second, he will renew us as we see him. And then third, he will strengthen us in our weakness. So let's pray and ask that God would deepen these things in our hearts. Father God, how much we need you. You are a strong and almighty God, as we just saw in this passage, and you are our gentle shepherd. Lord, we come to you in our weakness, in our pain, in our brokenness, in our, in our need. Will you reveal your great love and power to us as we draw near to you, God? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the very first promise that we see in this passage is that he will comfort us in our pain. This is the first verse right out of the gate. Verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now we might ask, why, why does Israel need comfort in this moment? Well, what's happening in this moment, what's happening in this big shift from chapter 39 to chapter 40 is that a lot of what's been prophesied in the first 39 chapters has now come to pass. Actually, what Isaiah is doing is he's speaking into the future. It's a little bit confusing when you read and study Isaiah because the first 39 chapters are basically situated in like 700 B.C., but then chapters 40 to 66 are situated in the 500s B.C., it's why some authors or scholars say that there's two different authors to Isaiah, but the reality is, and what's been shown throughout history, is that Isaiah was actually writing 200 years in advance. That God had a message that he wanted to tell his people in the 500s, and so he raised up Isaiah all the way back here in the 700s to speak into that day. So 200 years earlier, what Isaiah is doing is, is telling them that they're going to go into exile. Because of their, their rebellion, because of their sin, because of the ways they've turned against God, they will be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. They will be removed. And this is actually what happened in the year 586 BC. Jerusalem fell and the Jews were carried off into Babylon, into a foreign land. And so Isaiah is speaking these words of comfort from God into their situation. 
And what's beautiful, if you say, well, why, why did God allow them to be carried off into exile? The reality is that God was giving them hundreds of years of opportunities to turn back to himself. I mean, literally for 400 years, he was giving them second chance after second chance after second chance. And yet finally, everything came to pass that he was warning about. They are carried off into a foreign land. They're exiled. They're away from their home. And what does God do in this moment for all their sin and rebellion? He promises them another second chance. Like after 400 years of giving them the second chance, there's like a, a moment of justice and exile. And then immediately he starts pouring out his grace and mercy on them. Telling them he's going to bring them back. Giving them the most remarkable promises we see anywhere in the Old Testament. He's going to comfort the hurting. He's going to heal the broken. He promises wholeness for those who have been without peace, who have been cynical and disillusioned. He promises salvation to reach the ends of the earth. Now, it's, it's been hard this week to think about Israel 2,500 years ago and not think about what's going on in Israel right now. You've probably seen in the news last Saturday that Israel came under attack and the Hamas military group launched thousands of missiles into the country. Terrorists bulldozed into the cities and countryside, killing men, women, and children, taking hostages. More than a thousand were killed in a single day last Saturday. Tens of thousands have been injured and displaced. It's basically like Israel's 9-11 in this age. I mean, it's a staggering tragedy. And the conflict in the Middle East, it's actually as, as old as the Middle East itself. And even in Old Testament times, there's war and injustice and evil. And Isaiah actually helps us to understand this, actually, actually helps us to understand the evil that will always exist in our world until Christ returns. That the only hope for our world, it's not just peace and education and social progress and all those really good things that we want to contribute to. The only antidote to the evil in our world is the love and grace of God. And that's what Isaiah is giving us in chapter 40 of Isaiah. He's giving us hope. He's telling us about who our God is. He's comforting us in our pain. And so today, any one of us, we are all experiencing similar discomfort, similar pain. In one way or another, God shows up to comfort us in our pain. Where we are in spiritual exile, where we are being opposed or oppressed by others, where we are hurting, sick and sore, whatever the reason is, God's comfort is, is for us today just as, just as it was for them 2,000 years ago. We find ourselves tempted to sin, overwhelmed with dis despair, with hopelessness. We find ourselves sick with chronic illnesses, paralyzed by anxiety, overwhelmed with depression, opposed by unseen evil forces. And in this kind of moment, we can wonder the same thing that Israel wonders aloud in verse 27. Where has God gone? Where is he? And we cry out to God, why would you leave us? Where are you? Why is your face turned away from us? And that might sound like an act of disobedience to pray that, but that's actually a form of prayer in the Psalms. It's called lament. To cry out from the depths of our soul, what in the actual H, God? Like, what 
in the world are you doing and why are you making us suffer like this? That's actually a mature and a healthy prayer. And we see as Israel cries out to their God that he draws near to them. There's this great moment in uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. I'm not like a big Narnia guy, but as a Protestant pastor, I have to quote from it every few years or else I can lose my ordination. It's very serious. (laughs) So there's this young child, and he's been told that anyone in Narnia can be healed if they, if they come to this great lion, Aslan, which is the God figure. And so the young child finds the great lion and, and he asks for his mother to be healed. His mother is, is on her deathbed sick. And in that moment, Aslan's face turns away. The young child is, is confused. He's angry. And so he grabs onto the face of the lion and draws near to, to yell at him. And that's when he notices the giant tears in the lion's eyes. And it says that as soon as he saw the tears, he realized that the lion cared far more for his mother than he did. And from that moment onward, it says every time he was scared or sick, he remembered the lion's tears and had faith again. And we shouldn't be surprised by the evil in our world. We shouldn't be surprised by how hard this life is by the awfulness and tragedy of just living in a broken and fallen world. And we shouldn't confuse God's silence with his absence. We shouldn't confuse his delays with a lack of love. He is still with us, but he's so much more patient than us. We need Isaiah's message of comfort even now. We should expect every affliction known to man. I mean, you just look at some of the things the New Testament says. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, John 16, 33. 1 Peter 4:12 says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Romans 8, 17, now if we are children, indeed, we must share in Christ's sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Now, you might be saying, Pastor, I'm just here for the kids. We've got lunch plans. Can we get to the good news? But my imaginary church friend, the only way to the good news is through the reality of our broken lives. It does not work to try to go around the hard things. It doesn't work to try to, to try to get past what's difficult as quick as possible. No, we have to actually face the darkness of our world, even the darkness of our own hearts, and to see that Christ even brings light there. For just as we abundantly share in the sufferings of Christ, this is 2 Corinthians 1.5, so also our comfort abounds in Christ. And God has promised this, that he will comfort us in our pain. Isaiah actually tells us how in three different ways. First, he relieves our sufferings. Verse 2 says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, proclaim to her that her hard service is over. He's saying the burdens, the affliction, they will be lifted. The hard service will come to an end. There is much hardship and suffering in the Christian life, but it won't last forever. 
There are seasons of life and breakthrough and progress and healing and renewal. And all of these things are meant to give us hope for the final day when all of those things come in fullness and forever. Isaiah 40 also tells us that we receive forgiveness of sin. Verse 2 says, Proclaim to her that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What does that mean, double for all her sins? That means in Christ we have both the forgiveness and the removal of our sins, and it doesn't even end there. That Christ's death pays the penalty for our sin, but his resurrection, his new life raises us to new life as well. We have Christ's very righteousness in life. And this is the first blessing and the second blessing, his death and his resurrection, the removal of our sins and the giving of right standing before God. So we can actually approach him, we can pray to him, we can seek his face. That's the double blessing. Third, Isaiah 40 tells us the comfort comes in the form of justice. Justice for the poor and humble and lowly. Verse 4, every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. I love these verses. He's saying the low things of our world, the poor and sick and marginalized, they will be lifted up. But the high things of the world, the the pride of our world will be laid low. The valleys of our suffering, our affliction, sorrow, and weakness, they will be lifted up. And God will set us free from these things. He will comfort us in our pain. That's the first promise. The second promise is this. He will renew us as we see him. He will, he will renew us as we see him as he is. Verse 3 says, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, this is an ancient way of, of announcing that a king was coming near. So you could picture like a, a village or a small town, and, and the king is coming through with his horses and chariots and like the royal entourage. And they send a messenger running ahead into the towns, saying, The king is coming. The king is near. And so all the the townspeople scurry to like clean up the streets and they grab their kids and they come out to the streets. This is a once in a lifetime chance to see the king with their own eyes. And this passage gets fulfilled in the arrival of our true king, Jesus. I mean, in fact, in Mark's gospel, which is the first gospel written, chapter one, verse one, Mark writes, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, written in Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Mark is showing us that John the Baptist is basically the last prophet. Even though he shows up in the New Testament, he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he is the messenger going forward saying, prepare the way of the Lord. The king is near. Make straight paths for him. Clean stuff up. He's coming. And then I love this. Verse 5 in Isaiah says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. And then John 1 it says, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son. 
All of these gospel writers in their very first chapters pointing back to Isaiah 40, saying this was talking about Jesus. He is our true king, the one that we have been waiting for. He will renew us as we see him, as we behold him. Now, what I mean by that is that when we see him as he is, he renews us in our strength. And renewal means two things in the Bible. It means new life and salvation. Jesus said that we have to be born again. We need new life. And so renewal is a form of saying salvation, but it's also so much more than that. We're not just saved from, we're also saved for. And renewal is the ongoing work of Christ through the Spirit to make us more like Christ. So we're not just made new once, but we are made new and then we are continually being renewed by the power of God's grace. So I'm thinking here of my, my favorite theologian, Richard Lovelace. He's passed away now, but he was a charismatic Presbyterian with a PhD from Yale. He's my kind of guy. Yale's a college on the East Coast. It's like the second best behind Mizzou. That's, that joke took a minute to set up, but it was worth it. So here's what Loveless said. Loveless said there are two preconditions for renewal. And it's a right understanding of God and a right understanding of ourselves. So he's saying if you have these two things, you will experience renewal. If you see God for who he is, both in his glory and in his love. And if you see yourself for who you are, both in your sin and in the fact that you are now in Christ. If you have a right view of God in yourself, you will experience continuous renewal in Christ. But we have to see God as he truly is in all of his glory and holiness, but also in his gentleness and love. And we have to see ourselves as we are. If we neglect our sin, we'll have far too high a view of ourselves. But if we also neglect the fact that we are now in Christ and one with him, we will have far too low of a view of ourselves. But by seeing God as he is and, and ourselves as we are, we experience this new life. Now, where do you see this? You might ask. It's in verse 9 all the way through 11. You who bring good news to Zion, say to the people, behold your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. Isaiah is saying, look at your God. Behold him. See who he is. He is all powerful. He's sovereign. See, sovereignty is, is the extent of someone's rule in a given area. So the sovereignty is like the extent of a, a king's rule in whatever the realm is, all right? We don't have a lot of sovereignty in, in our world. The president's not fully sovereign. Congress isn't fully sovereign. I mean, there's basically no area where we have total sovereignty. I remember when our kids were young, they would ask us, like, so we own this whole house? And I was like, yeah, sort of. We're also making payments to the bank, so technically they kind of own it. But they're like, but this whole yard, this is all ours, right? I'm like, yeah, except we have an HOA, so if we don't keep our grass below four inches and we take out our trash before 5 a.m. or we park an RV on the lawn, like, yes, it's ours, but, you know, HOA. There's literally no sovereignty that we have in our lives. But it's saying that God is sovereign. The Lord is sovereign and, and the realm of his sovereignty is the entire earth, the entire heavens and earth, the entire cosmos. And the reason for that is because he has created all of it, and it all hangs on his every word. He sustains every bit of it. 
All authority in heaven on earth belongs to God, and it says in the Gospels, he has given it to Jesus. Now, this might seem dangerous that somebody would have all authority on earth because we're only used to authority and power being misused, right? But you look at verse 11, what does it say about Jesus? Is in the same sentence after he says, the sovereign Lord comes with power, he rules with a mighty arm, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them gently close to his heart and he leads out those who have young. It's remarkable. Right after he says God is all powerful, he's the sovereign Lord, he says he's also a gentle shepherd. He gathers little lambs and carries them close to his heart. This is the God that we need to have the proper view of. We can't see him as only glorious and holy or only loving and gentle. He is both things. A shepherd is only a good shepherd if he's strong enough to to defend us and provide for us. And a sovereign is only good if he's gentle and loving in his rule. But this is our God. He is the sovereign king and the good shepherd. Of course, I don't know where you're at today spiritually, what, what you need spiritually. I can imagine that some of you need that gentle shepherd. The one who can come alongside you and, and lift you up and carry you like a little lamb. Others of you might need the, the powerful, sovereign Lord. You might need justice in your life. There might be areas where you're marginalized and, and oppressed, and you need somebody who can come through and set you free. Isaiah is saying, your Lord is both. He is the sovereign shepherd. And this gets us right into the heart of the gospel, the good news of Christianity. Tim Keller used to say that the world understands a God of law, one who says, here's my law. If you keep it, you'll be saved. If you don't keep it, you'll be condemned. Condemned. The world can kind of understand that type of religion. At the same time, the world can kind of understand a religion that says God is, is just easy love. He's, he's always affirming, never judging. He basically exists just to make you feel good about yourselves. And the world can kind of make sense of that as well. Well, there's a problem with both those things because neither one of those gods can save you. A God that can can only judge you, that doesn't lead to your salvation because you can never keep the entirety of the law, not before a holy God. At the same time, a God that never challenges you and, and can't change you from the inside out, that's no good, that can't save you either. The heart of Christianity is that God accepts you right where you are, Not because you've earned it or achieved it, but because of his grace. So he comes to you just where you are, but he also doesn't leave you there. He changes you. He challenges you in a way to become more like his son, Jesus. It's a message of total grace and a message of our transformation. This is the promise of God. He will renew us as we see him. It's the last, the third promise He will strengthen us in our weakness. Verse 28 says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. 
Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. If ever there was a verse to stitch onto something, that is the one right there. And notice the only thing that we bring into our relationship with God. In, in our relationship with God, what is it that we bring? What, what do we contribute? It's basically just our need. We, we contribute nothing else to God besides our need of him. And any strength that we bring into the relationship, he doesn't need because he is all powerful and all strong. And it's, and it's nothing compared to his strength. We don't try to work ourselves up to, to contribute something to God in our relationship. What we bring is our weakness, our, our need, our lack, so that he can put his glory and grace on display by how he works in our lives. To be human is to be weak. There might be times when you feel plenty strong. There are times where, where I feel like work is going well, friends and family are going well. You know, I'm getting exercise. I feel pretty good. And then like the other half of the time, or maybe 80% of the time, it's like, man, my body is so weak. I get sick so often. There's so much in my life I feel like I have no control over. I get angry and don't have the self-control that I want. I feel disconnected from God instead of experiencing the renewal that I long for. And because I've been told all my life by our world that everything depends on me, that I need to work and grind and make it happen, and, and anything good that comes in life, it's going to be because I make it happen. Because of all that, my first reaction, when I get even the smallest whiff of my own weakness and need, it's to try to charge ahead, to try to work harder, to try to figure it out. And then again and again and again, I'm brought back to my weakness and my need. There's a strength that I don't have and nothing is in my power to get it. And we need the Lord's strength. And thankfully in the kingdom of God, weakness is actually better than strength. I mean, you look at the writings of Paul and he is actually boasting in his weakness, saying, I have no strength whatsoever. I bring nothing into this relationship. Our strength can make us forget our great need of God and our weakness is what keeps us closely connected to him like a child in need of a great father. Our weaknesses keep us coming to him for strength and renewal and healing. As what the prophet Malachi said, and I'm going to drop King James Version on it because it's just that much better. But unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings and ye shall go forth. Every now and then, it's just like KJV all the way. He's saying, see, your Savior has come. The sovereign one, the gentle shepherd, he has come. And for all who believe in him, there is healing in his wings so that we might live. I mean, how many times have you felt vulnerable and weak and you just felt like, if only I had somebody to help me out? If only I had somebody that could come and, and rescue me from this feeling. 
How often have you looked to friends or, or family members or a coworker or, or, or somebody to give you help and security, but they just haven't been able to? They, they just don't have the capacity to get involved. Maybe you've seen somebody in need. You've seen somebody in their weakness and their brokenness, and you feel like you could probably help, but it's just so overwhelming that all you can say is, man, I just don't think I can get involved. So the good news is that Jesus gets personally involved. The gospel is that Jesus saw the darkness and he went straight to it. He saw our need and he moved toward it. He saw our pain and he enters into it personally. He comes into our world to make a way. And it's through Jesus that all of these promises are yes and amen. That he will comfort you in your pain. He will renew you as you see him and he will strengthen you in your weakness. He is healing in his wings. This is the invitation. Behold your God. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for who you are. We praise you that you have made a way for us Father, how greatly we need you. We cannot earn our way to you. We bring nothing to this except our weakness and our need of you. And yet you delight in your children and you gather us in your arms. You turn your face toward us and you, you lift us up and you carry us, Lord. Lord, I'm sure there are many in this room even now that feel discouraged, feel hopeless, feel exhausted in this life. Would you be to them that gentle shepherd that lifts them up, carries them, comforts them, renews them? There are those who may be under the, the weight of others' sin, feeling mistreated or neglected or, or marginalized in some, some way. Lord, would you come as their sovereign king and set them free? God, our need of you is, is total. It's, it's complete. And yet you delight in us to lift us up and draw us close to your heart. Lord, would you help us to see you as you are? Would you help us to see Jesus and to believe in him more deeply? Lord, we love you and we pray in his name. Amen.